The building, the campus from parking lot through sanctuary looks amazing. Thank you to every person. Can we show our appreciation to all who helped to decorate our campus? A few weeks ago, we unveiled uh, plans that have been in the works for quite some time to bring upgrade to our, our sanctuary, and we shared those plans with you. And as we look ahead, we've also enjoyed looking back at where we've come from. And I came upon this from the Salem Reporter. They have a regular article where they uh, bring out history from our city, and there was this headline, Salem History, the downtown building where Herbert Hoover once worked. Herbert Hoover, the 31st president of the United States, uh, when he was a, a child, his aunt and uncle died, and so he came to live with his aunt and uncle here in our area, and his uncle's business built that building. You can see the Star Exchange sign on the building. Now, this picture was taken uh, decades after Herbert Hoover had been there in the late 1800s, um, and this caught my eye because I no, I had seen that building before because we have a picture of it in our church because this building was the first, also the first home of People's Church. And we have a picture of that too. See, there is uh, the Star Exchange in the early 1950s when this building, our, our church, was uh, located in rented space on the second floor from about 1951 to 1954. You can see our sign there, Central Assembly of God. That was the name of our faith community until we became People's Church. So that's uh, a bit of trivia that you can impress your friends with, that our church was once in the same building where the 31st president of the United States worked as a clerk when he was a, a boy. Like I said, we, it's, it's cool to look back as we look ahead. And we've been talking about this sanctuary update, plans to uh, refresh the platform area, the, the lights, the sound, uh, the, the video, and then also to repurpose some of this equipment that's still in great shape to improve our Family Life Center, where our youth meet every week. Uh, and one of the components, one of the pieces of this upgrade that many of you have shared you're actually most excited about is that we're going to bring the baptismal tank out uh, right now, when we do water baptisms, it's behind the screen there, Pastor Aaron. You do look great on video, by the way. You're going to look even better in person when we are able to bring this tank out onto the platform and so we can see the water baptisms live and in person. And I also want to just give a huge shout-out as we've been unveiling this over the last few weeks. We have an amazing group of PC seniors at this church. There, I don't know what, where this comes from, but there's kind of this stereotype in, in church that uh, senior saints are going to push back against any progress. That has not been our story at People's Church. So many of our seniors have said, let's go get it. You have been the wind in the sails of desiring to move ahead, and I say thank you for that. In fact, this is cool. One of the major technology pieces that is part of our upgrade, the idea came from one of our members who's in his late 70s. So uh, every generation has spoken into this upgrade so that we can be a, a better for our community now and into the future. 
I want you to think with me to a, a time in your life that you could measure more or less, less with a distinct beginning and a distinct end. A season in your life that you could think of that really had a distinct beginning and a, a distinct end. If you're in school, it could be a school year. Like a six-month, nine-month, year-long period where you can think of a time, distinct uh, beginning and a distinct end. If you're an athlete, maybe it's a sports season. If you're an actor, you can think of a theater production, the time from audition to the time that the final curtain uh, falls on the presentation. Uh, a six, nine-month, 12-month season with a distinct beginning and end. Uh, Jennifer and I, like many moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we can think about uh, when we were expecting our children, the time expecting a child, there's a distinct beginning and there, there's a distinct end. This morning, we are beginning a series called Expecting Jesus, Expecting Jesus. The Bible, you see, records three interactions that Mary had before Jesus was born. Three interactions. Who would those interactions be with? I didn't test the earlier two services, but you just actually look smarter and more awake. So who are those? Mary had three interactions before Jesus was born that are recorded in the Bible. One is with the angel Gabriel. One is with her relative Elizabeth, and then, of course, the one who would become her husband, Joseph. Each of these interactions reveal how God speaks to imperfect people for the purpose of carrying out his perfect plan. And what I think is so cool about these interactions is that the, the total of these interactions together could very well be how Mary would answer the question if she was ever asked, Mary, what do you remember about expecting Jesus? And if she were ever to be asked that question, the evidence would show that she would point back to these three interactions as being meaningful and powerful during the nine-plus-month period of expecting Jesus. You see, the words, the words in our Bible, they didn't just magically appear here. God used human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit to record and gather the words that are on this, these pages. And so if you think about these three interactions, the angel Gabriel, the relative Elizabeth, and Joseph, Mary must have been at least the primary source, if not the only source of these events, the reason why we get to read about them today. Well, just common sense would tell us that when the angel appeared, the only human who was there to tell the story would be Mary. And when it comes to the interaction with her relative Elizabeth, Mary would have been one of two people there. At least that's what the Bible tells us. And then when it comes to Joseph, tradition tells us that Joseph died before Jesus entered into public ministry. So uh, Mary would have been the carrier of the information. And we thank God for wives who know the information. That's, Jennifer often tells me, I can't be in charge of remembering everything that everyone has to do in the house and where everyone put everything. 
Yesterday it was zip ties. As we're hanging the Christmas lights, Jennifer knew where the zip ties were. I'm, I'm giving you credit in public. <laughs> you gave some suggestions about where to look. I'm not, am I in trouble? <laughs> We found the zip ties and the lights are up, okay? <laughs> so over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at, uh, take one Sunday to look at these interactions that Mary had uh, leading up to the birth of Jesus, recorded most of this in the gospel according to Luke. Uh, we'll also look at some portions that are recorded in Matthew. Luke, as he begins his account of the gospel, he says that the details that are recorded that you're going to read about, they were handed down by eyewitnesses and those who were there. That's where Luke gathers his information. And I love this. Uh, with a background in journalism, I love what Luke writes. He says, I carefully investigated everything so that I could give you an accurate account, an orderly account. So today we're going to see how God revealed his plan to Mary, how she responded, and uh, what we can learn about how God leads his purpose, leads people to accomplish his, accomplish his purposes still today. I'm going to invite you to open up or power up with me to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. I think it's important to say this, maybe obvious, Mary's specific purpose, it will never be replicated. There is one person in all of history whose job was to give birth to the Son of God. Now, we believe in life application. We want to study God's Word so that you can use it in your life. The application today is not going to be, let's look at how Mary did it so that we can be better at carrying the Son of God. That was one and done, one time ever in history. What we can take away is understanding of how God continues to speak to his people leading them to walk in faith, to participate in accomplishing his purposes in ways, in ways that are beyond our imagination. So, if we were to say, Mary, what do you remember about expecting Jesus? What do you remember about expecting Jesus? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now that reference to time in the sixth month, it refers to the month of the pregnancy of Mary's relative Elizabeth that we'll talk more about next week. What Mary can recount is that when her relative was six months pregnant, God sent an angel. If at any point in your life an angel visits you, you will not forget this moment. So if you were to ask Mary, what do you remember about expecting Jesus? She would not ever forget for her entire life the moment that she received visitation from the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel comes not to the greatest, biggest city of the day. Gabriel comes to Nazareth. And the Bible is kind when it uses the descriptor city. This is a generous word for Nazareth. 
the historians tell us that Nazareth probably had a few hundred people at most who lived there. This was a small farming village. And this is what we see throughout the historical record of Jesus' birth. To accomplish his great purposes, God intentionally selects people and places considered insignificant in culture's view. The great dignitaries of the day, it would be highly unlikely for them to visit Nazareth on purpose for something other than just passing through. And also, poverty, humility, and service, this contradicted the religious Jewish expectations of how the Messiah would arrive. But when we understand the character of God and his heart for those that society calls less than, when we understand the heart of God, his desire for humility, it makes perfect sense that he would intentionally choose humble circumstances to enter into this world. God sends Gabriel, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Luke knows that it's important to point out that Joseph is from the line of David because the prophetic word was that the Messiah would come through the line of David. So it's important that Luke points that out about Joseph. Now, when we're talking about Mary, what is Luke very intentional about pointing out in Mary? It's her, you're right, her purity. Mary is committed to be married to Joseph. And it is the important quality that Luke highlights about Mary is her purity. To this day, Mary is known for purity. For 2,000 years, this is what she's been famous for. Mary is honored for this character quality. It's, she's known as the Virgin Mary. No one else has been called this with a reverence like Mary has been called this. We don't say, here comes the virgin, Bill. Here comes the virgin, Susie. What has happened, though, when we speak about the Virgin Mary, even people who are not religious or followers of Christ, they say it with a reverence, the Virgin Mary. Yet somehow culture has turned that into an insult when we're talking about other people. Somehow virginity or purity has become an insult, especially in circles, in high school, in, in college, that people call this out like somehow you're missing it if you are committed to purity. Here's what is so important. God valued purity then, and he still values purity today. You're not missing out. So Mary, what did the angel say to you? Verse 28, and the angel came to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary is favored because she's going to be used by God for a great purpose. And what a great promise 
that goes along with the purpose. God is with you. God is with those who are committed to his purposes. The angel messenger tells Mary this before he explains what Mary's going to be called to do. The stage is set by this promise. God is with you. He's going to be with you. And we appreciate Mary's very honest reaction at this moment, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary's troubled. She's trying to discern what kind of greeting this will be. Mary is trying to figure out what's going on here. How big is this going to be that God would send an angel to deliver the message? So the stage is set with God is with you. By saying God is with you, you could just anticipate that what Mary's about to hear about her assignment is going to be huge. It might be even scary. It might be overwhelming. It may even sound impossible. So before the angel tells the what, he says, remember the who. God is with you. As you brace for the what, remember God is with you. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why would the angel say, do not be afraid? When in your life would you look at someone and say, don't be afraid? You say that if people have reason to be afraid. Or if you're looking at someone and they have terror in their eyes, you would say, I can see you're scared. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Maybe if you've gone in for a medical procedure, the doctor might say, you don't need to be afraid. People say you don't need to be afraid when for some reason, real or perceived, you might be afraid. Is she in fear because she is in the presence of the angel? Is she in fear because she's anticipating an overwhelming assignment? Why is this happening to me? To me? What we're going to see is that understanding the why helps us to overcome any fear. Don't miss that. Understanding the why helps us to overcome fear. Like if you were standing on the bank of a raging river and there, started, there was screaming and yelling and people saying, someone needs to get in the river. The river is scary. Why would I go into the river? It's terrifying. And then you find out the why, that there is a child who's clinging to a rock in the middle of the river and he's struggling and time is running out. Okay, now I understand the why and that's going to help me overcome the fear and get in the water. If you're a college student and your next course is a challenging, difficult course, and there may be a fear, like, why would I take this course? I'm afraid to take this class, or I'm afraid to enroll in the next level. Why would I do that? Well, maybe you know that God has called you into medicine, finance, law, social work, ministry, and you know that you need that education to fulfill God's calling on your life. So now that you understand the why, it helps you to overcome the fear. Why would you serve as a missionary in a country that's hostile to Christians? I'm afraid. Why would I go there? Well, if you don't go there, people 
will not hear the message, and the destination is hell. Understanding the why helps overcome the fear and the promise, God is with you. Mary, don't be afraid. I'm not here. The angel's not here because God is angry with you. What's happening to you, Mary, is good. God is pleased with you. God loves you. So here comes the what. Mary, what did the angel tell you would happen? Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You're going to become pregnant. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be Jesus. Now, what we're going to see right now is that if the angel had stopped at that moment, Mary might say, you came all the way here to tell me that. Because Mary is within, at most, a few months' time. She is committed to be married to Joseph. And when married people do what married people do, it would be normal even for Mary to have a child. And the name Jesus at this moment in history, in Judea, there were a lot of little boys running around named Jesus. So for Mary to become pregnant and to give birth to a son and name him Jesus was actually something that was fairly common in that time. So if the angel had stopped there, Mary would say, you came here just to tell me that? Now the name Jesus is, was common, but it is extremely significant. It means Yahweh is salvation, or God saves. And wrapped up in that name Jesus is the meaning to rescue, to deliver, to save. What the angel says next is where it becomes clear to us now and possibly to Mary then that this was going to be no routine pregnancy, no routine raising of a son in the little town of Nazareth. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will be called not the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph. He will be called the son of the Most High. He's going to be the ruler over God's people. There is going to be no term limit. His kingdom is never going to end. Jesus is not just going to be your baby's name. Jesus is going to be his mission. In this moment, have you ever thought about this? In this moment, Mary knew more about the child that she was going to carry in her womb. She knew more about that child than any mother in the history of humanity has known about the child that they were carrying. Like maybe you can imagine the small talk at the OBGYN's office there in Nazareth and all the moms are there with the little baby bumps and they're all just dreaming and chatting about what their child is going to become. I think that my baby is going to follow after daddy's footsteps and be a shepherd. I think that I'm carrying the next NFL quarterback, whatever it may be. Mary, what, do you, what would you guess about the child that you're carrying? And Mary would be the only mom in the history of the world that would say, I know exactly what the plan is for the child that is in my womb. Now, Mary is going to ask a question, and there's a lot of questions that she could ask. How is this going to happen? 
How is God going to use a, a young woman from a farming town in the middle of nowhere to raise a king? How is it possible that he's going to have a kingdom that never ends? Who's going to call him the son of the most high? How are people going to know him to call? How are people going to know to call him this? There's many questions that she could, be asked, she could ask. Here's what she does ask. Verse 34, such an honest moment. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Her question is about how is this possibly going to get started? And Mary has the tremendous privilege that few in history have had. She has the tremendous privilege of asking a messenger from God a question and getting an immediate in-person audible answer, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel promises in this moment that this is going to be a pregnancy that is going to start without an earthly father. What the angel promises here is what we know as the virgin birth. And over the centuries, there's been some extremes that have gone in two directions around the virgin birth. There is one side that's very skeptical, critical, downplaying, dismissive of the concept of the virgin birth. And then there's another side that's just way overemphasized Mary. There are whole belief systems that are built on amplifying Mary, worshiping Mary, making her into the object of worship. Some of the strange things that are out there, thoughts like that Mary is the bride of God, that Mary is this holy mother and that her role is to hold back the wrath of Jesus. Mary is the queen of heaven, and it's actually Mary who is the one who intercedes on our behalf as an advocate in heaven. So you have these two sides that have drifted far away, and our desire is to look at what the Word of God says. We want to know what the Word of God says. Isaiah had prophesied a virgin birth 700 years earlier, and Luke tells us that he investigated everything that he wrote down. God's word points to a virgin birth, essential for Jesus to be fully God and fully man, fully human, fully sinless, fully God. Jesus fulfills all three. The way to be born human, for Jesus to be fully man, he was born of a woman. Without sin, for Jesus to be without sin, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. To be fully God, Jesus' father was a heavenly father. The incarnation, the incarnation is Jesus. The incarnation is Jesus coming to this earth, all man and all God at the same time. Jesus, you know, his mission, he came to die. He came to die so that humanity can be restored to God. The power of Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension is set in motion by the incarnation. And there's a lot of church words in that sense. So let's just make sure we know what we're talking about. The crucifixion, what's that? It's Jesus' death on the cross. The resurrection 
That's the empty tomb. Three days later, the tomb was empty. Jesus had defeated death. And the ascension is Jesus visibly returning to heaven. The incarnation is essential as a predecessor to the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. The incarnation is our Heavenly Father's deliberate act that the Son of God would be conceived in Mary's womb and that Jesus would be at the same time simultaneously fully God and fully man. May we never lose sight of the incredible act of love. The, it's been unmatched in world history. That God, the creator of the universe, would come to earth and live as one of us for the purpose of knowing us and restoring us to our heavenly Father. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. We're going to talk more about Elizabeth next week. What's important for this week is that the angel points out that your relative Elizabeth, Mary, your your relative Elizabeth, she is also carrying a miraculous pregnancy. In the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah became pregnant when they were advanced in years, a polite way of saying old. Do you remember the reaction when Sarah, thinking Old Testament Sarah and Abraham, do you remember the reaction when Sarah was told that she was going to be pregnant? She laughed. It's such a cool moment. And she laughed because that's an honest reaction. And, and, and she said, no, 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 God, God I'm just afraid. But we can't fake it with God. You can fake it with people, but you can't fake it with God. God says, no, you laughed. And God spoke to Abraham and Sarah. You're laughing because you think it's impossible, but is anything too hard for the Lord? And so now these thousands of years later, Mary may be thinking this is impossible for so many reasons. This is impossible. If Mary's thinking it, she doesn't say it out loud. But the angel then says, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's mission is unique. Her response is worth replicating. Mary's purpose to be the mother of Jesus, that's an assignment that no one else is going to have. When Jesus returns, he's not coming through the womb. He's coming as a triumphant king. He is coming back, by the way. What the world needs more of in the meantime is people with the attitude of Mary. God, I'm your servant. Sometimes we get it messed up thinking that God is here to serve us, but imagine what would happen if we all said, God, I'm here to serve you. If it's your will, I'm available to do it. I'm willing. I'm all in. 
Mary brings availability and willingness, both essential to be used by God. Available means that you're free or you will make yourself free to be used. Willing means that you're ready without hesitation. To be used by God, both are essential. Availability and willingness. Is your schedule free on Saturday morning? Yes, it is. Will you help me move? No. That's availability without willingness. Will you help me move? Yes. What time can you come over on Saturday? We're going to be camping. That's willingness without availability. It's also possible that we are willing and available, but we declare ourselves incapable or we declare ourselves unqualified. We say, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. Church, if God has called us to something, if God in his eyes has said, you are qualified for this, who are we to declare ourselves? unqualified who are we to tell God that he doesn't know what he's doing when he selects us for an assignment wow we have a lot to learn from this interaction that Mary had with the angel Gabriel remember among those first words that the angel said Mary what do you remember about expecting Jesus the angel Gabriel came, and one of the first phrases out of his mouth, God is with you. God is with you. Some of you, you've taken a step of faith. It's been scary. It's been overwhelming. And maybe you're doubting the decision to follow the path that God has set you on. Remember, if you are carrying out his purposes, God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Maybe God has called you to do something that you've convinced yourself is impossible. Maybe you're afraid to even say it out loud to someone else because you know that if you say it, that others are going to call it impossible. And so for you today, it's to press in to this promise these words that the angel spoke to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Many of us would say as we're looking back, not at the same level of Mary, but God has totally interrupted and disrupted where we thought things were going. If you were to talk to Mary as a, a girl, a, a teenager, and say, Mary, what do you envision for your life? As you're committed to be married to Joseph, how do you see this in your mind playing out? No matter how detailed or how much thought or little thought Mary had put into whatever that's going to look like, that gets totally disrupted and interrupted. And the question for us today, are we willing, are we available 
if our heavenly father interrupts and disrupts the path that we think that we're on. We have the direction where we believe it's heading. And some of you have been there. You get a call, you get a text, you run into somebody, you're praying, you're worshiping, and there's a, something that's said, something that you read, and it totally disrupts, it interrupts the plan. And you're not forced to do anything. It's a choice. Am I willing and available to allow God to change the course, to disrupt and to interrupt the path that I think that I'm on? Believing that if I do, if I step out into faith, to in the direction of what's overwhelming, possibly even scary, that just as God promised to be with Mary, God promises to be with you. God is with you. God is with you. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. May he use you May he use our church in ways that others may declare impossible. One more. Maybe you're here and there's something and you're in fear today. You're afraid if if I do this, it has all these different implications. God spoke to Mary, do not be afraid. If God has called you to this, nothing's impossible with him. He promises to be with you. And for those reasons, you do not need to be afraid. Do not be afraid. What a good word. What a good promise. Father, we say thank you for the account from history that we have in our word this interaction between Mary and the angel Gabriel, this moment when her life was totally interrupted, totally disrupted. Mary had every reason to say, I'm not qualified, I'm not worthy. But Father, we are once again reminded that who are we to declare ourselves unworthy, unqualified, when you speak to our hearts and say, this is exactly the person I need for this assignment. When we follow your footsteps, your direction, your path, we do not need to be afraid. Thank you, Lord. Because you promised to be with us, and your word assures us that nothing is impossible with God. Father, for the one who's struggling to step out in faith today, may they have that Holy Spirit nudge right now that they can press into the promise that you'll be with them. For the one who stepped in here with fear, Father. Thank you for speaking to their hearts. That as they follow you, they follow your ways, as they follow your direction, that they do not need to be afraid because you're with them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.